we, uh, this is kind of a day of actors. Um, this morning we dealt with what happened after the birth of Jesus. Tonight we deal with what happens after his resurrection. Um, we have been walking through the Gospel of Luke, and in fact, um, this started Christmas season last year. Uh, if you'll remember, I started going through Luke. Um, we did some Sunday mornings. We did some uh, some Wednesday nights in Luke. We did some Sunday nights in Luke. We've, we've kind of run the gamut um, trying to get through this whole book. My goal was to finish it by the end of this year, and I was almost, almost there. Um, this is the last Sunday night, and then um, the next Sunday night uh, will be the first of the new year, but we're going to have to finish it up then. Um, just a little bit, little bit too much book in there, so Luke should have cut it down a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> no, but um, I'm still doing better than my former pastor. I, I, I went to church. Um, I started going to the church um, in January of 2000. He was in a series in Matthew, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. When I, seven years later, when after, uh, I, I, when I left the church to go to another church uh, with Carrie shortly after we had been married, um, God was calling me to a different church. And so we, God was calling both of us to that church. So we, we went to that church instead. He was still in Matthew. So I'm doing better than that, but not quite enough to make it through. Uh, this year, so Luke chapter twenty-four. We are um, we're talking about a little a little road trip tonight. I want to ask you a question: What does it take to see God? What does it take to see God? This is um, what's interesting about the Gospels is that you're walking with Jesus. You're step in step with him. You're seeing the miracles that he does. You're you're hearing his teaching. You can you can almost you can almost see the sights. You can almost see him uh, pushing away uh, the boat from the shore a little bit, standing on the boat just to get a little bit of space from the crowd and speaking to the crowd that's along the Sea of Galilee, telling them about the things of God. You could almost hear the commotion as he's walking into a city and people are crowding around from all over to bring their sick and their 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 death and and and. The, those that need healing from physical ailments and, and various types of problems. You can almost hear the anguish of the Syrophoenician woman bringing her daughter. She spent her life savings, everything they had on doctors and on trying to find something to heal their daughter when in fact nothing else would work. They, she finally comes to Jesus. You can almost heal, hear the anguish in her voice as, as as we look through these gospels and as we hear these stories and as we watch all of this unfold we kind of see it seems obvious to us because we're not there we're not living through it we're able to look back we're able to see things through the bigger picture than what they had but i often put myself what what would it have taken me to really see that this jesus was more than just a, a man more than just a prophet more than just someone that God had sent to do his work. What would it actually have taken me to see God in this man's eyes? Mitchell and James, hush. What would it have taken? What would it have taken me? Because I'm pretty thick-headed. 
What would it have taken me to get it? And part of the answer, I think, lies in Luke chapter 24. It is Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And probably mid-morning, middle of the day, these two guys have finished worshiping God through the Passover, and they are on their way back home to a town called Emmaus. Verse 13 is where we pick up. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Emmaus is due, almost due west of Jerusalem, if we have the town location right. There's one that's further out from that, but it's too far to be seven miles. So, so there's, there's another Emmaus that's close by, and we think this is the town. They're talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And, and you know how things work. You get together with someone and you just start chatting about what's going on. Maybe it's family stuff. Maybe it's what's in the news. You just start talking and soon enough, you find yourself discussing the big topics of the day. Maybe it starts with something innocent, weather, you know, but it quickly moves on to something that's controversial or something that uh, everybody's got their own opinion about. Y'all know those types of topics, the kinds of things that sometimes uh, you're a little bit wiser to avoid, but somehow you end up stuck there anyway. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I love this. They're walking and they're talking and they don't even notice uh, at first this other guy just walking along with them. And now if they're anything like my father-in-law, they're the type of people that will just strike up a conversation with a stranger. He, he is the type of person that gets walls to talk back to him. That's, that's what kind of a talker he is. And so I imagine these two guys are walking along and Jesus is, Jesus just kind of walks along with them. Verse 16 notices, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They don't know who he is. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, you ever see that person? You're like, they look familiar, but I just can't place them. Maybe it was something like that. Maybe, Maybe just in, in the commotion of everything going on, they don't even recognize him at all. But we know because Luke has told us, Luke has let us in, he's, he's peeled back the curtain so we can see a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes. And he says that their eyes were kept from seeing him, from recognizing him. They see him, but they don't know him. And sometimes I wonder if that's the way that it is for a lot of people, that their eyes are kept from recognizing God. Maybe kept because they've never really looked for God, and so they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know his character. They don't know what he's like. But these guys, that, that's not the case with them. They know Jesus. They were, they were disciples of Jesus, and yet they don't recognize him. They're kept recognizing him. I wonder how many people it's true of today, people that we know and love, people, friends and family and, and individuals that, that we have seen and talked to dozens of times that are just kept from recognizing Christ. They may know the stories, they may know about Christmas and they may know about Easter and they may know that, that they need they need to believe in that kind of stuff and they may have like a marginal level of, yeah, I accept those stories are true. But how many people are kept from recognizing who this Jesus really is? Not just ignorant, but kept from recognizing. 
How many people is it that their eyes are covered over so that they do not see the truth? Maybe they're covering their own eyes. Maybe it's not them. Maybe it's God covering their eyes, waiting until that one moment, that that specific time that he has ordained. Maybe it's Satan trying to cover their eyes to keep them from truth. How many people are like that? I think we go around the room. I'm sure we can name some. Yeah, I know I can. Verse 17, he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? What you talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Suddenly they come to a halt. They're walking, they're talking. Jesus, they don't recognize him, but it's Jesus. He says, what you talking about? And then they stop. Almost like the gravity of everything that's happened just kind of hits them. And they look at him and one of them, Luke tells us uh, one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Are you the only, have you been living under a rock? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that doesn't know what all has happened? And then God, I love this about God. Jesus is a master of this, but God does it uh, from the Garden of Eden. He asks questions. But he doesn't ask questions the way we ask questions. Like, we ask questions because we don't know. When God asks a question, he asks a question because he does know. In fact, I almost wonder if Jesus is wondering, what is it that they're not getting? They're talking about all this. Like, they know all the events that have happened, but they haven't put the pieces together. What is it that they're missing? And so he just says, what things? What things have happened? He would have made a really good uh, psychologist. All he needed was a couch. Just ask the question and let them talk. And they'll show what's in their hearts. That's exactly what they do. Verse 19, he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they recount the things. What things? Well, there's this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. Notice how they describe him. They say that he was a man who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. These were guys that had seen the things that Jesus had done. They had seen him heal the paralytic. They had seen him heal the blind. They had seen him heal the lame. They had seen him deal with people and and all kinds of different struggles, not only only in in those physical infirmities, but in the spiritual things too. They had seen him forgive people of their sin and just to prove that he could forgive their sins, make them pick up their bed and walk in the temple on the Sabbath. They had watched these things happen. And the things that they hadn't seen with their own eyes, you better believe they had heard with their ears. They had had seen, but now they don't see. Isn't that that interesting? They They could describe in specific detail all of the events, but they missed what connects them all together. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like that 
you, you see all the trees, but you miss the forest? You ever feel like you see what's going on, but you don't quite know how it all fits together? Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You see, there is a wisdom of God in not allowing us to see everything right away. I was talking to one of our church members this afternoon, and I said, isn't it great that we can't see everything? Can you imagine if you could see every virus with your eyes? Some of (laughs) y'all... I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of y'all would freak out if you could see one virus, not to mention all of them. Isn't it great that some things we just can't see? Not because we're, we're ignorant of them and ignorance is bliss. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, isn't it good that our eyes are good at selectively focusing on certain things and not seeing other things? It's good that we can't see every little virus. Because if we could see every little virus, we wouldn't see much of anything else, would we? If we could see every molecule of air, we wouldn't see each other. If we could see every little thing, we would miss the big things. Isn't it good that sometimes God covers our eyes so that we don't see? And this is how he gets glory. In all these events, in all of these things that are going on, they, they, they see everything that's going on, but they don't see the connections because God is seeking to be glorified. And in his glory, sometimes he says, you know what? You don't need to know every answer. So they describe it. He, they say he is a prophet, a man who was a prophet. That's true, but not exactly enough, is it? They continue, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. This is the one who, when he spoke, he spoke with authority. I mean, he's telling demons to get out of people, and they're getting out of people. In fact, the demons are begging, can you please let us go in those pigs? Just let us, let, let us not have to go to the place where we really belong. A man mighty in word and deed, mighty before God and before all the people. You notice when the Pharisees challenge him, they never challenge him on doctrine. Who gave you authority to do these things? Not, you're wrong, but I don't like how you're doing it. A man mighty in word and deed before God and all the people. He was delivered up to be condemned to death and crucified. We had nothing to do with it. We didn't want that, but they, the rulers did. The people in charge did. The people that had the authority and the power did, and they made sure it happened. We didn't want that, but we had hoped. This is one of those cases where grammar really helps you. The tense of the word here for hope, we had hoped. Uh, that, that word is what's called the imperfect tense. It's a tense of incompletion. It's still ongoing. We're still hoping. Our hopes haven't been fulfilled yet. So you're saying there's a chance. It, it's, it's, there's, there's, we were, we were hoping and, and, and it looks like it's all the not, but, but, but hope had, hope springs eternal. It hasn't died. It just hasn't been fulfilled yet. We were hoping. We were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. He would be the one to, to save Israel. I mean, he was supposed to be the one to save Israel. He was supposed to be the Messiah. And we were looking for that. We were hoping for that. And hope is not, knock on wood, maybe it'll turn out all right. Hope is a forward-looking anticipation with certainty of what you know will happen. 
We knew this was the Messiah. And it still hasn't happened. And now three days later, some women went to the tomb and they saw angels saying that he's alive. He's, he's not there. What happened? We don't know what happened. You ever been there? To us, it seems obvious. Well, he's alive. I mean, the angel said it, you know. <laughs> Isn't that enough? <laughs> no, because verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You see, sometimes in God's mercy, he allows us not to see yet so that when the time is right, he can open our eyes. Verse 25, and he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, Jesus doesn't beat around the bush, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Didn't you know all that had to happen? Don't you, don't you see? I mean, the prophets had said all this was going to happen. Don't, don't, don't you see? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let me tell you something. If you're reading your Bible, Old Testament or New, especially in the Old Testament, and you're not seeing Jesus, you need to read harder because he's there. Jesus doesn't use the New Testament. He doesn't go to the letters of Paul. Paul ain't even a Christian yet. He doesn't go to the Gospels. He's playing out the Gospel, right? He's living the Gospel. There's nothing else he can turn to but the Old Testament. And he, so he, he takes the Word of God that God had revealed to his people and shows them in that word that all of it, every single prophecy, every single individual is pointing straight at him. He says, don't you see, don't, don't you remember when Moses said this? Don't you, don't you remember the words of Isaiah? Recall in your mind what Jeremiah spoke about this and Ezekiel. Listen to the words of Micah. Hear the prophecies given to Joel. Look back at the Old Testament. Look back at the prophets. Look back at the judges. Look back at what all of they were saying. And you'll see all of this had to take place in this way. Don't you see? So they drew near, verse 28, to the village where they were going. He acted as if he were going further. Um, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. You know, it's starting to get late. You really should stay here for the night. Let us, let, us, let us show you some hospitality. Stay at our place tonight, and then tomorrow you can continue on your way. So he does. He went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. We know one of these guys was named Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other. We don't know... They start, they, we don't have any record of them being in the upper room. We don't know of him. We know, we're pretty sure he did not share the Passover meal with them. But I do imagine they had been with Jesus during the meal. Probably them and 5,000 of their closest friends. Probably other meal times. Perhaps when Jesus was in the area, they had invited him over before. I don't know when. But there must have been something odd about the way he broke bread. Because verse 31 tells us, and their eyes were open and they recognized. I don't think, I don't think it was in the way he broke the bread per se. I don't think there was any magical way of breaking bread. But something about that moment, God said, now, now's the time to see. And then he's gone. One thing to look for in stories is how the words are 
put together. It says their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then it immediately says, and he vanished from their sight. But he didn't vanish from their sight, did he? Oh, he may have physically. He may not have been there in form, sitting at the table with them, but you better believe he was still there in their sight. You better believe their eyes, every time they closed, every time they blinked, saw Jesus' face from that point on. Oh, they had, they had, they had recognized him. Their eyes had been opened. They had seen who he was. And it didn't matter if he was there physically or not anymore because they had met the risen Jesus. Now everything's going to be totally different. Let me show you how it works out. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Luke is playing on the word open here. Their eyes had been closed so they would not recognize. Then Jesus opens up the scriptures and when he breaks the bread, their eyes are open. He's no longer with them, but now their eyes are staying open because now God has revealed himself to them. I think if we are to see God, it must be by God's revelation We are not going to find God on our own power. We're not going to find God by accessing some sort of secret wisdom. We're not going to find God by being certain types of people. We're not going to find God by doing all the right things, by checking all the check boxes. We're not going to find God like he's a lost pair of glasses that are sitting on top of our head and we're scratching our heads wondering where they are and we eventually find him. That's not the way it works. We will not see God until he chooses to open our eyes. What time of day is it when this happens? It's getting late. Supper time. Now, I don't know when they ate supper. I don't know what time of day that was. But it's starting to get late. You need to stay with us for the night. It's obviously pretty close, right? It'd be dangerous to travel at night. They didn't have street lamps. They couldn't just pull out their phone and turn on the flashlight and follow away. So how are they then, how are they able, verse 33, to go to Jerusalem that same hour? I don't know. Normally it would take about two miles an hour. be a typical walking speed. I have a feeling these guys are running to Jerusalem. Don't you? Maybe just trying to make it before it's dark. Maybe running because, oh, the news they have to share. Their eyes had been opened, and there was no time to waste. So they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Ah, here we have it. When God chooses to reveal himself, we can't help but see him. And once you see the risen Jesus, everything's totally different. I think it's amazing. Walking with Jesus, don't even know it's him. Their eyes are closed, they can't see. Maybe you, maybe you know someone that you've been trying to share with. Maybe maybe you've been working with them for quite a while and, and you just don't seem to be getting anywhere with it. Maybe you've tried to share the gospel and they seem closed to it and you just... You're discouraged. Or, or maybe, maybe they're just kind of, I don't know, they're not really closed, not really open. Can I give you some encouragement? You open up the scriptures. You keep sharing with them the truth from God's word, living it in your life. 
speaking it through your words. And when God's ready, he'll open their eyes. I'm sorry. I, I can't tell you how to pry their eyes open. I can't do that. I mean, I can tell you how to do it, but I, I don't think they'll like it. <laughs> All I can tell you is when God's ready, he'll open their eyes. So you keep, you keep persevering in that, and he'll work. I also think of the person that's trying to seek for the truth. Maybe you're struggling with what God's will is. You just don't understand it. You've been, you've been back and forth, and, and you're, you're trying to figure this out, and it just seems to be elusive. Maybe you've got all the pieces, but you don't know how they fit together. Something's missing. It might be for this season, God has closed your eyes. Not because he doesn't want you to know the truth, but because he wants you to trust him. Not because he doesn't, he wants you ignorant and, and oh, if he knows too much, that'll just be trouble. Sometimes God closes our eyes so that he can be most glorified in their opening. So if that's you, I, I, I would encourage you in two ways. First, pray. <laughs> Say, God, open my eyes that I may see you. And then number two, pray again. <laughs> and repeat steps one and two as necessary. Seek him. And when the time is right, he'll open your eyes. You know the funny thing? These guys had a story to tell for the rest of their lives. I can picture them 20 years later sitting around laughing. Remember that time Jesus was walking with us? We didn't even know it was him. This moment would change everything for them. Before they believed, belief wasn't the question. Now that they had really seen him, now that they had recognized him, now that their eyes were open, everything would be totally different. See, because it wasn't just a head knowledge. It wasn't just what they knew. It wasn't just what they could piece together themselves. Now they had experienced the working of God. And that makes all the difference. Father, I pray that we would have those types of experiences with you, those moments where our eyes are opened and we see you in all your glory. Paul talks about having one of those moments on the road to Damascus. Wesley talks about that moment, saying his, he felt his heart strangely warmed within him. For a son of a Baptist preacher named Keach, it was in preaching the gospel that his moment came. There's someone here that hasn't trusted you, Lord. I pray that you would open their eyes. But even for those of us who have, I pray when the time is right, you would open our eyes that we may see you in all your glory. Father, help us, help each and every one of us to live for you. For those who we know whose eyes are still shut, we implore you on their behalf to open their eyes that they may see you. And if we're the ones who bring you, if we're the ones who you do that through, we will, we will rejoice at the opportunity and hasten to be obedient. But if not, it's someone else. Father, we pray that that person will be too. God, just help us. Help us to see you and to glorify you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. You, you do it through your word. You do it through the life of Christ. You do it in the lives of your followers. Thank you for making yourself known to us. Help us be involved in that work as we make you known to others. In Jesus' name. Amen.